It is said that a certain king was going to war and he needed to consult a bird so that the bird can say your war is going to be successful or it's going to be a failure. And the bird said that it was going to be a failure, but the, other, the king now said, No, I can't rely on bed to tell me what is going to happen. So caught the bed, tied it big, kind of did away with the bird. After that incident, the bronze casters now made an idiophone out of that situation. It became something that you will use in announcing messages across the kingdom. If somebody just sees this now in a museum, Ahiamoro, which is the bed of prophecy by CJ, is just a bird to these people. But here is a way of telling stories, it's a way of carrying our history forward because there is always a story behind every object that was made in the kingdom and that is how we told our history. And a huge dent was made in our history making, in our cultural documentation and it's like an entire library was burnt down. Vice 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 News presents the unfiltered history to colonialism. I've stole through 10 objects. My name is Victor Ahikameno. I'm an artist and writer from the Kingdom of Benin in Nigeria. The Kingdom of Benin, before its interaction with the British, is one of those civilizations that it's it's really like hard to even explain this day. We had a huge boulevard, street lights that were lit by oil. We had a, a system. We had an army. We had a very strong monarchy that dates back to several centuries, you understand, that has gone through different iterations. It was a functional kingdom politically economically, culturally, until the British came and completely disrupted the whole affair. When British attacked the Benin Kingdom, which was in February of 1897, it was premeditated. The colonial masters back then came and said they wanted to meet with the Oba. And of course, they said that you can't meet with the Oba at this time around because this is the situation. He's not receiving any visitors at the moment. They knocked on the Oba's door. He wasn't accepting visitors at the time. He refused. And that pissed them off. Some of the emissaries that tried to force themselves into the kingdom got annihilated in the, in the process. 
If you knock on my door and I say don't come in and you still want to force yourself in, you are going to take what you get. They had to like write back, told the Home Office in uh, London that they can attack the kingdom, that there is enough art and uh, enough materials to pay for the war. These are all documented in historical books. Within one month of this, they got thousand plus soldiers and and uh, worship and the new guns, the Muslim gun, and they went to war with the kingdom. They took the king of Bavura man and they sent him to exile. There was a lot of war crime. They were trying a new weaponry, which is the Muslim gun. When there was clearly instructions on uh, or human rights ways of saying this, this kind of weapon, before you can use it in a war, there has to be a certain way that you have to engage, but that those were clearly not followed. Women and children were killed recklessly, randomly, because the, the, the British had a more superior weapon than we did. After the war, after all the embers of war have cooled, and that was when they raided and um, took all the bronzes, the ivories, and every other artifacts that they could lay their hands on in the palace and uh, ship them out of the country. With all this, there are people that died. There were chiefs that defended the kingdom to their last. Some of them were caught and tried and they were hung, you know. So they came, they were the strangers. They were the ones that attacked the kingdom. They were the ones that also still set up the courts to now say, oh, you found the people that own the land to be guilty of trying to defend the land and you hung them. So even after the war, a war continued. And if you ask me, that is the war that Britain is still fighting with the Benin Kingdom to tomorrow because if they are saying that they are not going to return the objects that were looted from the kingdom, that means the children and the grandchildren and the great-great-grandchildren of those that attacked my empire before are still very much in business of attacking the empire. Bronze making in my kingdom historically is about storytelling, it's about archiving, and it's about documentation. We have a lot of uh, mythologies, histories of how kings rule and reign. From the oral narrative of women that we sing the praise of the king to storytellers to griots, then it falls into the hands of the bronze casters that are part of the community. For instance, if there's a story of how a king was able to fight a, a, a wild animal and defeat it, a bronze caster uh, will take the liberty of creating the oba, the crown that he wore, the sword that he used, and the animal that he killed. And this will be represented in plaques. This is how we document history. And a chunk and a large part of this history was stolen from us when the British looted the kingdom's artifacts. That page in our history book was ripped off very violently.
the first time I entered the British Museum to actually encounter these these bronzes and other objects that came from my from my kingdom, I stopped in my track. To see them in that state, strung together, completely out of place and out of space, you know, it made it quite lonely for, for that very important item to my people. It was really painful. Seeing them in the in British Museum brought home more for me than any other museums that I've seen the Benin bronzes. I mean, I, I mean, I've seen so many in other uh, museums in Europe and in America, but to say that the epicenter of the whole thing is actually the British Museum because it's the British that that attacked the kingdom, and these are the ones that they kept for themselves. I mean, there's no other way of putting it that you can find your heirloom being worn by a thief in the street and they are very proud to wear it and almost give you the middle finger and say there's nothing you can do about it. We are going to keep it and we're going to wear it the way we are wearing it. It's not just me. A lot of African artists, a lot of African writers, a lot of African curators, we have to go to museums in the West to be able to reference these things and they are not referenced in their natural state. So we are beginning to look at even our own stuff from a Western perspective. We begin to gaze through the Western eyes. The British Museum have uh, muted the idea of loaning the Benin bronzes back to Benin. <laughs> um, the British Museum have uh, muted the idea of loaning the Benin bronzes back to Benin. <laughs> Um, how do you loan to me what is mine? Oh, Nigerian cannot take care of it. Where will it go? And it, it works better for the world to come and see Benin Empire's creativity in British Museum where we cannot even get visas. Your, your ordinary average man from Nigeria or Benin or woman or citizen cannot get a visa to UK to go and see these things. Does it make sense? I don't think so. It's, it's an insult. Okay, they are hiding under the Heritage Act that, oh, it's a Heritage Act has protected. What about our own heritage right? Where your heritage right stops, that is where our own starts. So a lot of people are saying, oh, can Africans take care of you when they brought it back and all of those things? But my question also that I ask them is, how did we keep it before the colonial masters came? Before the white people came to Africa? Because, I mean, when you look at it from that perspective, it's a continuation of a new colonial narrative that is only when the white people came, that was when Africans knew that daytime has come. That is offensive. We have our own personal rights as well. We own these things. We did them. Our forefathers, our, our ancestors created this, these things for a specific purpose. You came with your big guns, with your white supremacy, and you took these things, not only just taking them, you didn't negotiate for them, you didn't beg for them, you killed people, you burnt down an entire city and loaded your ship up with these things, and you left. And we are saying, bring these things back. We are not even going to talk about the human rights yet. We are not going to talk about the women and children that you killed yet, right? We are just talking about artifacts and objects. We are talking about our history. We are saying that we need these things for our cultural references because they belong to us.
But, you know, I, I don't want to say that I feel all my people feel helpless about this. Because we are going to figure out a way to make sure that they are returned. Whether, whether those that are holding on to them like it or not, this conversation is not going to go anywhere. It's not going to go away until the right thing is done. This podcast was produced by Jesse Lawson with research from Marta Vanderwolf. This episode features original singing from Julie Omoreji and Chief Omo Usagi, Uteta Nagyabi, the Oba Jolokboni of Benin Kingdom. Sounds from BP or Not BP and Clank Build and ERH from freesound.org. The Unfiltered History Tour is a Vice World News production. 